You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I feel like who art ed? Try to spice it. Who art ed? Mr. Wood art ed me. <laughs> yeah. Either way, it's, it's ambiguous. It works on so many levels. I know. Welcome to Who Arted, where we explore visual arts in an audio medium. I'm your host, Kyle Wood, and today we're going to be looking at Takashi Murakami. Murakami was born February 1st, 1962 in Tokyo, Japan. Early in his life, he was a big fan of manga. He actually really wanted to study and work in animation. So he attended Tokyo University of the Arts. Initially, he was intending to study the drafting skills and become an animator, but he ended up studying the traditional painting style, Nihonga. Now, Nihonga, sincere apologies on pronunciation, not a native speaker, that was traditional Japanese style starting around 1900. Basically, it seems to me like it was an attempt to reinvent Japanese art style and make it modern without adopting all of the Western techniques. Paintings are typically made on washi, a Japanese paper, or silk. Pigments come from natural materials. Initially, Nihonga were made on scrolls, screens, things like that, but now typically they're made on paper with wood stretcher bars for support. One of the things I find really interesting about Murakami is he studied art in Japan, but then left Japan to go to the United States. While he appreciated the traditional Japanese style of painting, he also wanted to make modern art. He wanted to make Japanese art more modern with Western influence. And so he came to study in the United States to get a little bit of a sense for what the contemporary art market was like at that time, what the styles were, what the trends were, and to bring that into his Japanese style. Essentially, he was trying to bring the traditional style into the more modern era and contemporary society. And so in his work, I see some strands that feel to me like they were taken from traditional Japanese woodcuts, like the iconic work of Katsushika Hokusai, Great Wave off Kanagawa and all of that. But then I also see these bits of like pop art styling popping up in his work, pop art styling popping up in his work. There had to be a better way to say that, but He's bringing in the Western popular culture, the bright colors, flat, cartoonish, animated styling, as he's developing characters that would reoccur throughout his body of work. One of the most famous would be Mr. Dobbs. The name Mr. Dobbs came from some old, like, I don't think the kids even say it anymore, but it used to be some Japanese slang to say dobajite, which means like why. Um, And he just used that, which was a little bit of a pop culture reference to name his figure. And the figure 
also seems a little bit of a, another pop culture reference. If we look at it, it is this collection of circles that feels like a distorted, odd take on like Mickey Mouse almost. Um, in in some of his works where he's got like a shaped panel, like the untitled piece from 2019 that I was discussing in my season two full episode on Murakami, the the silhouette of the canvas really does become almost like the silhouetted head of Mickey Mouse, but the teeth are pointed and jagged. The colors are totally different. It's it's this odd twist off of it that becomes something totally unique and different. Mr. Dobb has sharp teeth, making him a little bit menacing, but somehow there's something playful there. He seems more mischievous than monstrous. Mr. Dobb first appeared in 1996. There's a painting titled 727. If you want to learn more about that, again, I would refer you to the full episode from season two. But I think what's most interesting here is in that 727 piece, we see washes of colors that feel almost like traditional Japanese woodcuts, but with a more contemporary flair with the pop art and all of that, it's a global piece. And this gets at one of the biggest bits of Murakami's philosophy. He talked about super flat, this idea of this flattening of society, the high art and low art all being mashed together, it all becomes one. And Murakami is making things for all levels, all stratas of society to enjoy. He's got things from the fine art paintings we see in museums to prints and collectible toys and plastic figurines that would all be within the budget of the ordinary person. Murakami is making art that is based on these cultural touchstones from different times and different places so that people from all over the world and all different backgrounds have an entry point. It's unifying. It brings people together. Kind of reminds me of what the media theorist Marshall McLuhan was describing as he talked about the global village. This idea that mass media, such as television and now the internet, make culture more broadly accessible and consumed by a global audience. And hopefully that'll help people find more common ground and bring people a little closer together. This concludes this week's episode of Who Arted, part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you found this tolerable, please leave a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. You can find images of the work being discussed this week and every week on social media at Who Arted Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And of course, on the website, whoartedpodcast.com. Podcast done.